It's been brought to my attention that I have not yet sold t-shirts this week. <laughs> this is the 1984 Rare Book School t-shirt. The symbol is about triply appropriate for Columbia. We've always been, we've all been very pleased with it. It's an 1823 English watermark. But uh, some time ago, this institution uh, was called King's College. Its name was changed suddenly in the late troubles. But this has not prevented us from retaining the lion as our beast and the crown as our symbol. And here, by God, you have a very good lion, in fact, rather better than most of the lions around here, and a crown which looks as if it was stolen right off the flagpole outside. It can also be seen in the crown jewels. These will be available for sale at $5 a piece if you're small. <laughs> and if you're large, orders for other sizes where we'll reorder next week and get them to you in a couple of weeks by mail for $5 a piece from Teresa Salazar, who's sitting next to Martin Antonetti, who's sitting next to Sylvia Smock on the couch. Our lecturer this evening is Lawrence Witten, who spoke here brilliantly, if I may say so, a couple of years ago on his life in the antiquarian book trade. This lecture is the logical culmination of, every, of everything he said then. And it is with great pleasure that I present him to you to talk about microcomputers in the antiquarian book business and to give him a copy of what you may buy for the mere price of $8 a Rare Book School 1984 apron, Mr. Lawrence Witten. Thank you very much for your welcome. I usually start by asking if anybody in the room is over 55. Don't put up your hands. I wouldn't think so. Okay. Well, now, uh, do any of you receive my catalogs? Very rare, my catalog. Um, do any of you direct libraries or rare book departments who, who have, uh, which have budgets for the acquisition of early printed books and manuscripts? Do you get my catalogs? <laughs> <laughs> I've never even met you. <laughs> Okay, so much for business. <laughs> you all have your little packages of handouts. Uh, it would be gracious of you not to throw them away while my wife and I are still in the room. Uh, I'm going to introduce you to her because she is the computer specialist in our business. She has never been interested in the business until we acquired a computer, and now she is really a crucial part of our operation. She is the lady in the blue dress in the third row at the end, Cora Witten. And when you stick me with a question about uh, our computers that I can't answer, and believe me, that would be easy to do, because I am uh, extraordinarily ignorant about them, uh, I'll ask her to help me out.
my ignorance of computers is really deliberate. I uh, don't want to know about computers because I'm trying to uh, have knowledge in other subjects and I really just don't have time to learn. What I do know how to do is use our computers for the purposes that I need to use the machinery for. And the only reason I know that is because Cora has taught me how to use it. In fact, uh, I'm tempted to begin by saying that one of the things someone has to do in your organization or family or whoever is going to use this is learn how to use this equipment. And that's an investment of time. Uh, most of the manuals uh, that accompany computers are uh, illiterate. They are incomprehensible. They are very, very resistant of access. They are not user-friendly. <laughs> so I asked Cora to make me guides to the use of the programs that we utilize. Brief, one-page explanations with the symbols or the controls or the, the uh, character settings that I had to employ in order to get our programs to work. She did that, and now I'm a great expert, you know. I don't know anything except I do know how to find it in the little booklet she made for me. So that's important. We really got into using computers because we thought that they could have an application for us, especially in an area I'm going to talk about in a second. And it seemed possible because uh, one of our sons-in-law is a uh, computer designer for Digital Equipment Corporation. And when we first began to talk about this, one of the things that was apparent was that there weren't any computers our size. That is to say, very small. Then the business changed. They had sold so many mainframes to enormous corporations, so many uh, smaller computers to middle-sized corporations that they began to think about tiny businesses. They began to think about games, of course, for home game playing. But they really did begin with the microcomputer generation to think about little businesses, computers with a ca capacity of uh, uh, 48,000 uh, or 64,000 or 128,000 characters in memory. So when the Apple II Plus came along, uh, our son-in-law said, this is the moment you can, for uh, a very few thousand dollars, buy a computer, uh, two disk drives, and a high-quality printer that will do s some real jobs for you. The first thing that I wanted to do was enter inventory in the computer for two reasons. One is because I couldn't keep track of it, and the second was because at the end of the year, I couldn't figure out what the books that I had sold cost and what my residual value of inventory was. It was the hardest thing to do. Because we're so tiny, because we probably didn't have adequate staff to do a lot of that work for us. 
but with a, a uh, simple inventory system, and I draw your attention to item one. I've forgotten about the unnumbered item, but I'll get back to it in a second. Now, item one is a page reduced in size photographically uh, with some inventory indicated. In our system, every inventory item has a number. And uh, uh, the year 1983 began with 15,001. Uh, we usually begin it with some kind of uh, number like that. And uh, this thing pretty much shows all except one column. We have instructed the computer to suppress the cost because that isn't any of your business. <laughs> uh, actually, it just seemed to us a little bit more polite not to do that. But the cost is one of the crucial factors. But why don't I start at the left column? Uh, the left column it, it includes the serial in inventory numbers I assign to each item. The next thing is uh, very clear. It's a, it's a very short author title entry, enough for me to identify it. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, the third column is really three columns, and they are uh, our varieties, and if you'll look now at page two, uh, Cora has printed out for us a list of the symbols we use. It's in three columns, and those three columns relate to the three columns in VAR. Everybody got that so far? Now, the point of all this is not really that, uh, that I don't know what the book is, it's to be able to retrieve it. So that if I want the computer to print out all of our Americana, all we need to do is instruct it to give us everything that is A in the first of those columns, and it will do it, okay? If we want to have all of the 16th century books, and I did want to have that, for a catalog uh, a couple of years ago. You have it, I think. Uh, actually, it was books uh, 16th and early 17th century. The computer printed the list for me so that I could know what I still had to describe and what wasn't described and what we could process the material using that list. Uh, and as you see from that catalog number 17 in your laps, that had, I forget, 250 items in it. It may not seem very much to you librarians, but in a little business to keep track of 250 items and make sure that our inventory has been cataloged and goes into that publication, the computer helped us do it. And the final thing is language. Well, the last catalog on your lap is a uh, catalog that has some books in some European languages except Italian. That's because I already did an Italian catalog a couple of years ago, and the computer told us what all of the books we had in Italian language were. Well, it also told us what all the books we had in English, French, German, and uh, Spanish and Portuguese were. And that's what that catalog is made up out of. Okay, back to page one, please. 
the next uh, column uh, shows where it was uh, printed or written, and then there is a date of publication or approximation if it's a manuscript or something like that. There is a column that shows where I got it, so which enables me to go back to the original invoice if I need to do that kind of thing. The blank column is our cost in dollars, and the next two columns, or the next one let me de deal with first, S slash INV stands for sales invoice. And we, at the end of the line, we record at the year end, uh, if we haven't already done it, all of the invoices on which inventory items were sold. And we can then instruct the computer to count for us, to make us a list of everything that was sold and the total cost of that. And it can also, the next time around, when I want, when I want to print 1983 book purchases as of 1184, what I still have in inventory, it will suppress all the items that have been sold by, by instruction. In this column, we instruct it to suppress all of those and I get what I actually have in inventory at the beginning of the year. Is that clear? It's so simple. The final column says foreign currency. Now, actually, all of these things have been converted, but I think you can understand somebody like me buying a lot of books abroad. There, very often, it takes quite a while for us to find out what the dollars are. Uh, we. We've ordered the book, the book may have come, then we have to order a draft, or we pay through it, for it through the Swiss account, or there's an exchange involved. It may take us months to know exactly what the dollars are. We carry the foreign currency amount in the right column as an aid memoir. I know about what it costs by doing a simple conversion in my head or with a calculator, and it costs remains a carrying item in that foreign currency until it's converted. The minute it is converted, that is blipped and the dollar cost is entered. But at the end of the line, when the item is sold, we use that column to say to whom we sold it. And that provides us with a permanent record of not only the invoice number, which was in the preceding one, and incidentally, our invoice number system is coded for year, so we know right away how to look it up. And you'd be surprised at how many librarians say, we think we bought from you in about 1960-something. We're not sure. This manuscript that we never cataloged, we can find it. And we do. Okay. Down at the uh, bottom of page one, Oh, I see. Cora, uh, no, I see. She's printed out for you uh, some a list of the 16th century books we purchased in 1983. Some of them, obviously, this is just at the beginning of a list. And she has uh, made an entry down below that will help you understand that. Uh, off to the right is a sample of, uh, including a cost in this instance of how 15001 looks as a data record. When that comes up on the screen and we need uh, 
we need to put the sale invoice in or the cost or whatever it is that we need to do with it. That's the way it looks on the screen. Cora printed that from the screen. This is stuff you can look at uh, later on. Let me t return to the unnumbered item because I'm going to offer a prize. Uh, this will be difficult to correlate with computers. And I think that's the way things are going to remain. But for those of you who like puzzles, what this is, it's the colophon page of a medieval manuscript. And I will uh, uh, help you out a lot by telling you it's in Latin. And I'm draw your attention to the last three lines, which are the colophon to this manuscript. Um, I'm amused by it because one of my good friends and a smart man missed it completely, and I think I've solved its puzzle. And what I'm, uh, what Cora and I are doing is we're offering a $10 prize in cash uh, to anyone who can crack the colophon, who can tell me what it says in Latin approximately and in English approximately by the end of the elaborate uh, moment that I understand is to follow my presentation. Okay, upward and onward. This is for those of you who are bored with computers. You can try that one, okay? <laughs> now, now, another part of our little business which drove everyone pretty frantic was the mailing lists. Uh, we have four mailing lists. We have, uh, in the first place, the two main divisions are domestic and foreign, and the two subsidiary uh, divisions are bookseller and not bookseller. We need to divide them because we like to give private customers and libraries a preferential shot at our catalogs. We mail them first. We mail the dealer catalogs later. So we need four complete lists. Anyone who has ever kept lists uh, of various, uh, on various pieces of equipment, whatever it is, typewritten, we did it years ago by typewritten masters, and uh, we photocopied those onto gum, the, the labels that came on a sheet that you pull off. Uh, we've done it every imaginable way, always a nightmare, because the master becomes totally obsolete. And you've put in the change of address for Mr. Jackass, and you put in another one for Mr. Mule, and they're no longer in zip code order, which is what the post office wants and all that. The ans answer to that, folks, is a computer. And uh, so I think page three is going to show you uh, how that all looks. And up at the upper left is a, uh, is a data record. That's what you see on the screen. And it is obviously really pretty easy to change uh, when someone moves. Uh, below, you, you can have the thing printed out as an alphabetical list, any of these lists. You can also have it print out by zip code. How else, Cora? We print out. Uh, or a country arrangement in, uh, in the foreign ones, uh, things like that. And on the right, you see the continuous form that goes through the computer printer that has those little peel-off labels. And uh, uh, this thing, I don't know how this is arranged. This is the dealer list, obviously. 
and I don't know. Okay, I guess it is in zip. Uh, it's not. It, it New York City would have been a more helpful example, perhaps, because all the zips uh, in New York eat. They're all together by zip, and we uh, we stuff the catalogs into the envelopes, and we go slap, slap, slap with these uh, labels in the order they come out of the machine, and they are practically ready to go to the post office. So that gives you some idea about that, and uh, it really has, uh, it's very easy to update. I think I'm telling it right, Cora, and it is, uh, you do not have to worry about a master because everything is in the machine's internal memory. Um, I've forgotten to say, I think, no, I haven't. For these two programs, the invoice, uh, the uh, uh, inventory program, and uh, the uh, mailing list, we use a rather slow and clunky program by present standards, I should think, it's called Information Master, and it's sold by High Technology Software. This is for our Apple II Plus machines. Uh, it has all of these capacities. I'm not so sure that the program really is so slow as our computer is because of possibly insufficient capacity. But it, when I say slow, believe me, it's faster than the old way. Okay upward and onward with the arts. Well, at a later stage, when inventory seemed to be under control at last, after 34 years, and the uh, mailing lists uh, seemed to be under control at last, after the same period, and up to date, and my uh, wife was a little fidgety because there didn't seem to be enough to do, uh, we decided to r remedy another continuing and growing problem. Our own reference library had gotten large enough so that we not only didn't know where the books were, but we didn't know what we had. And when we came to the point of cataloging some uh, item, we couldn't remember which reference books we should consult. That's, you can, I'm sorry about that, but it's partly getting older and it's partly because there can be an enormous number of references that should be and might profitably be consulted. So we began to catalog our reference collection. And uh, page four shows you uh, some cards printed out. Uh, and. Basically, uh, I guess they're over on the left, Cora has uh, put some uh, notes, but uh, three by five cards come in a continuous uh, roll now, pulled through the machine by the tractor, and uh, then you just tear them apart. They're not terribly stiff, but for our purposes, they're okay. And you can see that each of these entries, uh, are, well, we've only done one. We've done Boigas. Uh, the book about uh, Spanish illumination, two volumes. Uh, below the main card, uh, at the foot of the main card, you'll see three subsidiary entries, and it's very easy to get the machine 
to print subsidiary cards with those headings, and there are subject catalogs. It's that complicated. Uh, and it's, it's really uh, been another boom to us. To I reckon that uh, we now have about uh, between three and 4,000 books in our reference, co titles in our reference collection, and it just got completely out of hand, and that catalog is the answer. So you can do uh, cataloging of this kind. Now, what do we use for that, Cora? Yeah, all right, got it. I'll name that at the, uh, after the next uh, uh, thing or two. Well, I see you have another sheet about this. Page, uh, page five. Oh, you can then print the thing out as a list, uh, alphabetized. And she started to print out uh, a little bit of this stuff. Then we have a version of it. We cost uh, these items because we finally decided we really had to insure this collection, their reference library. And uh, the insurance company said, okay, but what is it worth? So we had to retrieve a lot of costs and all that, and we've encoded all that. And basically, for the insurance company, we print out every year a list that shows what we own and what it costs, and that's what's insured. And that could have applications, uh, I believe, for libraries as well as ourselves. Item six is uh, the next part of how I use the uh, computer equipment most. Uh, I and the principal author of the descriptions in our business, and that's what our catalogs are made out of, and that's how we present ourselves to the public, is through these descriptions. And what I've uh, had copied for you is uh, three, the three stages in this instance in a description. Uh, the, there is the first draft, is page six, and uh, I then corrected it and made a few changes. And instantaneously then it was reprinted. That's the second version, at which point I recognized that Cortes was spelled wrong uh, throughout, that the accent went the wrong way. And so uh, that was changed. There are no very big changes. We decided that uh, we didn't need to put the signatures in the, uh, the technical section of the description uh, because that was already described in the bibliographical reference we finally found. And the uh, page eight is a print of the final thing. But I want to I want to call your attention to the fact that six and seven are on plain paper, and this is how we do all this. We do print them off, the final one on plain paper. Then we are fortunate enough to have uh, quite a good copy machine, and we use that plain paper print to copy off onto uh, letterhead 
for anybody who wants a description or anybody to whom we want to send a description. We have a high quality copy machine that works very well and the point is you don't have to keep reprinting. You can put it in the machine and you've got a copy on stationery. You could, not without too much difficulty, I mean it just takes a little longer, you, but you can print them out specifically uh, on the machinery too. Okay. Now the last uh, uh, pages nine and uh, ten, or ten's not numbered. Uh, perha perhaps I'll call a, a halt just at this moment to, to direct your attention to our catalogs for a minute. The green one uh, we issued uh, ten years ago, and the it was an effort on my part to use what was then sort of new technology which was an IBM correcting Selectric typewriter with a variety of type balls. And I was, uh, I suppose I was trying to be economical in the production of our catalog. I was also trying to be fast, uh, but I, the other benefit that we saw in trying to do that was maintaining control of the text. And, uh, now, I don't like the catalog at all. I think it looks awful, uh, and I hope you do too. Uh, luckily, it sold books, uh, <laughs> uh, but that's not really the point. That, but anyway, uh, it was an effort to use in uh, 1975 what seemed to be technology at hand to, uh, to do this thing. And we made the thing up. I pasted it up. It was photographed, and that was that. It was produced. Now, if you look at, uh, at 17, isn't it 17 you've got uh, the, with the white cover? Well, now, this was the first uh, catalog we, uh, in which we used really the full capacities of the computer. And I want to say right away that I think it is even more ghastly looking. Uh, but the, what we were trying to do with our letter quality printer was to see if by using a variety of thimbles, that is type balls, uh, in this thing, we could produce in-house a respectable catalog of rare books. Now, possibly a better page arrangement, uh, more open, larger margins, I don't know. Possibly that might have improved the appearance. But uh, there are uh, ultimately uh, 250 or whatever it is, rare book items in uh, 96 pages or whatever that book is with about 120 illustrations. Uh, you will notice that while there are some high ticket items in there, there are a lot of uh, two and three hundred and one hundred dollar items, and one of the problems, the economical problems that uh, people like me face today is how do you produce a catalog and illustrate it and give the public some idea of what you're selling at a reasonable cost? Well, uh, this is an effort to do that, and uh, but I consider it a failure partly because I think people couldn't read the catalog. I think it, they went blind. 
they and they simply could not could not get through that and it it, it was uh, I think I noticed that uh, the first fifty percent of the catalog sold pretty well and the, <laughs> so we we have a solution to that we we always put them in right away again never mind and and <laughs> and then they sell it's <laughs> It's uh, really funny, but it, uh, it's a failure. Now, if you'll turn to the last one. That's our most recent catalog, uh, number 20. And uh, this is, in my uh, estimation, the fullest uh, utilization of our computer tool work. Because what you have before you typographically uh, is our same old descriptions that you've seen. You've seen how that's produced. But if you can look quickly at page 9 of this stuff, no, sorry, the loose stuff, what you'll see that Cora has done with one of our descriptions is uh, encode it with a group of commands. The top of the page uh, it says that it's catalog 20, and this is probably file A. Is that right, Cora? That's my guess. And on wit, the next thing at the top of the page is the code to the printer's computer that our stuff is coming. That uh, is the instruction to the com their computer to go into the mode to take our stuff. Now, the codes that you see inserted, P2 before Apuleius, 5A uh, in the word M-E-R-E, and 5A again in Volupte, and so forth, and the, uh, the various other little things like the carrots, and, uh, or what do, you, what do you call those things? Uh, I can't say the word for At the end of each paragraph, so forth. Uh, those are all codes to instruct the printer's computer what to do with this stuff. The type size, the width of the column, and the diacriticals are all embedded. And the end of a paragraph, and it, you see the price, 2350, do you catch that one? The, uh, the two uh, signs before it instruct the computer to put that flush right. Okay. Uh, oh, now, the next page, if you'll turn quickly to it from Catalog 20, this is what we get uh, 24, 48, or however many hours later it takes them actually to process our little job. This is a photocopy, a rough, I'm sorry about that, of the reproduction proofs that we get back. Uh, and. Apuleius happens to be at the bottom here. I'm sorry about that. But there's the same description. And as you see from the finished catalog, we have uh, author title, the technical paragraph, the imprint line and price spread across the page, and the blurb and references are in two columns in smaller type. Actually, there are three type sizes in this and various lettings and all that. That's all figured out in advance. And that's what the codes mean that are embedded. So now let me tell you what the benefits are. A, nobody 
introduces further errors into our copy. We do not really have to proof it. We have to look to be sure that everything worked right, and yes, somebody does read it, but it's not. It's not the backbreaking proofreading that we've done all our lives for so much print material. And now that, uh, that really we've got this pattern set with uh, the printing firm is so incredibly easy. Instead of taking us three weeks or four weeks to work through the small amount of typography that you see in one of these catalogs by uh, giving them material, they recomposing it at their keyboards and then laboriously correcting all these proofs and then finding further errors and all that stuff, I'm telling you, 48 hours, it's on my desk. And it does not have errors except possibly for accidents and transmission. I guess I've neglected to say what happens physically is that each file containing a group of descriptions is transmitted over the telephone by modem from our computer to the printer's computer down the road. So it's instantaneous. It takes, uh, what, uh, Cora, a couple of minutes to send a long file. It takes about an hour if everything goes right, if there's no interruption of transmission. Isn't that right, would you say, to send all of Catalog 20? And we have a slow modem. By, by choice, really. It's, uh, the, uh, a faster one is very expensive. There are, now, the next couple of points. It cost us, Cora looked it up, in telephone costs, uh, the time you get through calling back and forth a few times, it probably cost us uh, 60 or $70 to transmit it. Uh, by previous experience, we reckon that the production of the repro, repro proofs cost about half what it used to cost for them to re-encode what we had already done and make all those corrections. Cora. Oh, <laughs> 15 bucks. Uh, cheaper without any question than our running it down to Norwalk or their driver coming up to pick up copy and all that stuff. Uh, as a control over uh, this transmission, Cora does print out page nine, the whole thing. They have a print. That takes an hour or something like that to print all of the text of the catalog on the computer with the codes embedded so they have a control over it. They actually look at it as it goes by to make sure that the transmission didn't get interrupted by a blip in the telephone line, you know, something like that. That can happen, but we haven't had much trouble at all. Any further comments on that? Okay, our word processing uh, program that we use for uh, uh, for the mailing lists for the composition of descriptions and for the reference books catalog, right? Got that right. 
is uh, something that used to be called magic wand by its uh, inventors. They sold it to uh, Peachtree Software, and it's called Peach Text, if you're interested. We think it's a terrific program. It's very, very flexible, and it's uh, fast, and it's trouble-free. There, but uh, talking about programs, I don't know whether any of you are into that that far. There are a million programs, and uh, th this is not a problem anymore. Uh, if you're getting into this, I'm sure somebody's already told you, what you need to do is pick the programs you want and then buy the computer that will operate them. That's, don't buy the computer and look for the programs. Look for the programs and buy the computer. Okay. Now, when we've done all that, and all that seemed to be, uh, well, you see our halting steps up to the present uh, from uh, 10 years ago. The last thing we did, and I believe it's because I can't work fast enough to supply material for Cora to play with at the computer, is we have now put our accounting up on the computer. And we've used uh, a very well-known, ultra-reliable, ultra-flexible program called VisiCalc, which is sold by the VisiCorp uh, Corporation. Uh, this thing has a tremendous flexibility. I'm not going to try to explain it to you. I did not, we did not bring sample pages of that because there are a million of these programs and they all look pretty much alike. Our old bookkeeping system has always been a simple double entry system and we replicated it on the computer. The beauty of it is that it adds your lines across as you go so you find out right away where your error is, if any, and it also provides all of the column totals and it will do that monthly, quarterly, annually, and it doesn't make any mistakes. You know, it doesn't, uh, human error is not introduced. Uh, a little later, maybe you'll want to ask, if you're interested in that kind of program, talk to, to Cora about it. Uh, it is working well. We've been doing it now for about six months. I think it's right. Well, you come down to the burning question on everyone's lips. Does working with computers stultify antiquarian booksellers and rare book librarians? Well, of course it does. Uh, to exactly the same extent, I believe, that the lead pencil, the, the fountain pen, carbon paper, electric light, the typewriter, photo offset printing, laser composition, the telephone, the airplane, and the automobile have all wrecked concepts of the beauties of dimly lit bookshops and libraries in previous centuries. I'm saying that the computer is simply another tool to help us do our work more accurately. Uh, we believe more cheaply and much more productively. It will not, I believe, make anyone a more creative antiquarian or librarian, but it will to some degree free him or her of some tiresome drudgeries. 
when I first went to London in uh, 1951 to buy books, I found that one prominent West End London firm in the rare book business since uh, then for more than a, uh, well over a hundred years had no typewriter. There were actually people crouched over desks in corners doing all the paperwork by hand. And the proprietor himself wrote customers terse one or two liners in longhand. That firm is now somewhere in the remote countryside. Its catalogs, which are slimmer each year, describing ever more boring and unimportant books. No doubt this is an index of one individual's personality more than anything else, but it's difficult indeed to see how any business like ours could have been carried on even in the remote 1950s before you were all born uh, without a typewriter. Uh, my feeling is that for the computer is a fantastic blessing. I am unable to write limpid uh, sentences and clauses and phrases of the appropriate length or in the proper order. I am incapable of that. So the computer enables me to move everything I've written to a place that seems more appropriate instantly. It enables me to correct all the immense number of errors I make. Whenever we find out that there is a new reference work that describes exactly the book that we have in one of these descriptions, we can, in about a minute, enter that in the computer by getting that description up on the screen, and in about another minute and a half or two, Cora can print a brand new, error-free, no more human errors introduced by the typist, a perfect copy, and that can be substituted instantly. If we find out that our price is too high, uh, heaven help us, it never happens, or too low, frequently happens, <laughs> we change it, you see, and we throw away, burn usually, or shred the old one, and uh, that's it. It's really uh, marvelous. It's just wonderful, and I, uh, I recommend it. But the, my cautionary note about all that is that you do need somebody to invest the, the time and effort in getting to know how to use it, preferably yourself uh, or uh, someone very close or someone in your intimate uh, work group uh, to make it all work right. Uh, I'd like to know if you have any questions that we might be able to answer for you about all this.